Well, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Ralph was wakened at 5 o'clock in the morning by a noise on his roof. It sounded like somebody was repairing boilers or something up there. So he went out on the front lawn to look up and see what it was, and it was a woodpecker battering its brains out against the antenna on the roof. And uh, mad at the stupid bird for waking him up earlier than he had intended to get up, he picked up a rock and threw it at the bird, Rock went over the roof, and then he heard the crash as it went through his car window. <laughs> Anger can cost you. A car window, a hole in the wall, a broken vase, a ruined reputation, a broken relationship, a lot of money. Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount about not getting out of debtor's prison till you pay the last penny if you cannot or will not reconcile with somebody that you're angry with. When you add up all the costs of anger, it's no wonder the Bible has a lot to say on the subject. A quick-tempered man does foolish things. Proverbs 14, 17. A hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. Proverbs 19.19. Do not make friends with one easily angered. Proverbs 22.23. And Proverbs 29.11. Only a fool gives full vent to his anger. A few years ago in California, a guy gave full vent to his anger. He was angry at cockroaches, the cockroaches that shared his apartment. So he went to the store and got some bug bombs. Now the canister instructions said that for an apartment his size, two canisters should do the job. But he was really mad. He was determined to get these cockroaches, so he disarmed 25 of them. And when he closed the door to his apartment and the fumes hit the pilot light on his stove, there was an explosion that 
blew out all of his windows, blew his screen door across the street, set all of his furniture on fire. It did $10,000 worth of damage to his apartment building. As for the cockroaches, he said a few days later, I saw them walking around. <laughs> anger. In medieval times, theologians called anger one of the seven deadly sins. And they had scriptural warrant for doing so. Jesus thought that anger is murder in seed form. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, says, you've heard it said, don't murder, and if you murder, you're subject to judgment. But I tell you, if you're angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. So why do some of the Bible's heroes get angry? Why did Jesus get angry? Why does God get angry? If the testimony of Scripture about anger is uniformly negative, how do we explain then the anger of godly men, of Jesus the God-man, and the anger of God himself? Well, this morning I hope to say clearly, and I hope convincingly, that the testimony of Scripture on the subject of anger is not uniformly negative. That it is, in fact, possible to be good and angry. It's possible to be good and angry. It's possible because God gets angry. In Psalm 2, we read that concerning the wicked, God rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath. Jeremiah 10.10, when God is angry, the earth trembles. God got angry with Balaam in Numbers 22. God got angry with Moses in Deuteronomy 4. God got angry with Uzzah in 2 Samuel 6. God got angry with Solomon in 1 Kings 4. He got angry with Israel again and again and again. And we read in Psalm 7, that the Lord is a righteous judge who is angry with sinners every day. Now somebody might protest, well, that's God. God is God. We're not. He's not subject to the same rules and limitations. Just because it's okay for God to get angry doesn't mean that it's okay for us to get angry. And if you object in that way, then you have a point because much of the time, you might even say almost all the time, our anger is wrong. It is distorted. It is anger for the wrong reasons or to the wrong degree or with the wrong people or in the, the wrong circumstances. But if you say that God is angry and the Bible says that, don't you see that you are conceding the crucial point? Anger itself is not sinful. If so, it would not be found in the heart of God. Anger per se is not sinful. 
In fact, we should not even say that anger is in tension with God's goodness. Rather, that anger is an expression of God's goodness. In a college religion class, a professor, not a Christian, uh, was making a point about biblical religion. He was reading from an Old Testament prophet where God expresses what he thinks of and how he feels about those who oppress widows and orphans. And after the professor read several paragraphs, verse after verse, of vivid expressions of the anger of God, somebody in the class said, who would worship a God like that? And after a few moments, someone in the back of the room said, maybe widows and orphans? In this kind of vicious world in which we live, how would you expect a righteous God, a righteous judge, to feel about tyranny and cruelty and rape and murder and injustice and child abuse? And the testimony of Scripture is that God gets good and angry. And in that chapter of God's life that we call the Incarnation, the God-man got angry. Jesus, God incarnate, got good and angry. Picture him in John chapter 2, cleansing the temple, a scene familiar to anybody who has seen our passion play, even if they haven't read the Gospels. And ask yourself, was Jesus being sweet, cool, calm, and collected when he made a whip and drove the sheep, both the four-legged and the two-legged, out of the temple precincts? Listen to him in Matthew 23. Blast the religious hypocrites. And ask yourself if his tone was gentle when he called them a brood of vipers, snakes fit for hell. Mark chapter 3, we read of a scene that Jennifer and I saw in the, the Chosen miniseries just the other night. He encounters in the synagogue a man with a withered hand and is about to heal the man, but the synagogue leaders object. Wait a minute, wait a minute, this is the Sabbath. You can't work on the Sabbath. And Jesus looks around, Mark says, angered, angered by their hardness of heart. Jesus got angry, good and angry. The Stoics thought that um, virtue consists of eliminating any strong emotion. The happy man was the apathetic man who didn't feel anything strongly. Well, Jesus was no Stoic. <laughs> he was a, a Hebrew and felt and unapologetically felt strongly. Seneca, the Stoic philosopher, wrote, Anger is the most hideous and frenzied of all emotions, the greatest of all ills. But Jesus got good and angry. So did other heroes of the Bible. Moses was angry at the idolaters who made and worshipped the golden calf. 
Jonathan was angry at his father, King Saul, for his shameful mistreatment of David. Nehemiah was angry at the local government officials who were taking advantage of the peasants. The Apostle Paul was angry over false teachers who could do so much damage to the church. The prophet Jeremiah wrote, I am filled with the anger of the Lord. These examples don't seem to fit a 4th century monk's definition. Anger is the impulse to hurt someone who annoys you. Well, these biblical figures were angry at sin. They were capable of righteous anger, capable of being good and angry because they knew that sin hurts people. As C.S. Lewis put it, Anger is the fluid that love bleeds when you cut it. But we have authority greater than that of C.S. Lewis. We have Ephesians 4, for example. You can turn to it in your Bible, or you'll find it at the head of the order of service printed on the first page of your bulletin. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, was capable of some scathing words for those who harmed the church and opposed the gospel, could write in verse 31, get rid of all anger. But he also could say in verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Or, as the King James translation puts it, and I believe the ESV as well, be angry and sin not. Be angry and do not sin. And in the Greek, the grammar is two imperatives. So it can be translated, be angry and don't sin. Sometimes imperatives are meant not as commands, but concessions, implying that if you're angry, when you're angry, don't sin. But however you translate it, it should be clear that anger itself is not, at least not always, sinful, or Paul would have just said, don't sin, don't be angry. In fact, if you look at verse 31 a few verses later, and assume that Paul is not schizophrenic, contradicting himself in the space of five verses, you see that he's forbidding angry, anger gone bad. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. This, this is anger out of control, anger that is not energizing corrective action, but anger that is bent on destruction. Anger at the wrong time. Anger at the wrong person, for the wrong reasons, to the wrong degree, in the wrong manner. So why am I talking about this? Why, why preach on this as part of our series in the Sermon on the Mount? Because I haven't really used Matthew 5 much as the text. It's just, it just seems like a jumping off point. We're looking at other verses. But why? Well, I have two reasons. But before I tell you those two reasons why I'm preaching this message today, let me tell you why I almost didn't preach it. 
why I had second thoughts over the last couple of weeks. Why I really wondered and asked God, Are you, am I on the right track here? Is this something I should preach? Here's the reason for my hesitation. I don't think it's much of an exaggeration to say that we find ourselves in an anger pandemic. Everybody's angry today. Republicans and Democrats are angry at each other. The masked and the unmasked are angry at each other. Left and right. And social media is a rage amplifier. Seems like we're surrounded by anger. And I wasn't sure if I should encourage anybody to be angry by talking about righteous anger. But, but here are the reasons why I thought this message deserved inclusion in our series. First of all, I hope to demonstrate that when we read and interpret and apply the Sermon on the Mount, we need the rest of the Bible. I love the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of my favorite sections of Scripture. I've memorized it. I review it periodically. I, I love these three chapters. But, whether we're talking about anger, or divorce, or charitable giving, or turning the other cheek, we need not just the Sermon on the Mount, but the rest of the Bible as well, or we're going to be unbalanced. We're going to go wrong. If all we read was Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and thought that that's all that God had to say on this variety of topics, we would literally give away everything we possess to any and every beggar that asks for money. We would tell abused women to just keep turning the other cheek. Until presumably there was no cheek left to turn. We need the Sermon on the Mount and its teaching on anger, but we, re we need the rest of the Bible as well. So that's one reason that I, I thought this sermon was worth including in the series. Here's another reason. I think some of us need to get good and angry more often than we do. I think some of us need to get righteously, rightly, angry, more than we do. Now, if you're part of the pandemic, if you're one of those who's already angry plenty, and not righteously angry, don't go back to your wounded spouse and children, or to the people at the office who go into hiding whenever they see you coming with a red face and say, preacher says I should be angry more. <laughs> now if that describes you, then I got another verse for you. This one also is printed in the order of service. It comes from James chapter 1. Man's anger does not achieve the righteous life that God desires. Human anger, all too easy, all too prevalent, including in this guy who is talking to you right now. That does not lead to the kind of righteous life that God desires. It's destructive. It's hurtful. But what about godly anger? 
Some of us have a view of anger that's closer to that of the Stoics than that of Jesus. There is a time and a place to be good and angry. When you see a couple of bullies beating up a little kid for his lunch money. When you hear a circle of catty high school students mocking an unpopular girl for her weight. When you hear of yet another person scarred by clergy sex abuse. When you see somebody denied a job or promotion because she's black or because she's white. Maybe time for some righteous anger. Years ago, Pastor John Mazzardi was officiating a wedding here at the church. And when he got to the part of the ceremony that says, those whom God has joined together, let not man separate, he uttered those words with such seriousness, it was almost severity. Now, those of you who know Pastor John know what a tender-hearted, compassionate guy he was. It was uncharacteristic of him to look kind of almost angry at that point in the service. And I witnessed it and wondered if it might have something to do with uh, a rash of broken marriages and, and, and divorces and failure in our, in our church family or community that, that John, as a caring pastor, was getting angry about. doesn't mean that he wasn't or that we can't be compassionate toward those who are divorced, toward those who are, are failing. But it does mean that there are some things worth getting angry about. It's possible to get good and angry. The opposite of love is not anger, but indifference. God help us to get good and angry. And that's not a throwaway line. Because being good and angry is hard. Aristotle was right. He said, anybody can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, and in the right way, that's not easy. So, let's ask for God's help. Pray with me. God, our Father, we thank you that you are capable of being good and angry. Maybe we don't praise you often enough for that aspect of your character. In fact, as I said last hour, I, I'm not sure I can think of any praise songs that celebrate your anger. But when we look at the testimony of Scripture we realize that this is something admirable about you and pray that you would help us, your children, to imitate you in this. But how hard it is for us to get it right. And all the negative things that the Bible says about anger and that the philosophers say about anger and all of the illustrations of where anger can lead are true. And they are warnings to us, to be sure. But we ask, because it's right, 
that you will help us to exercise and experience the righteous anger that energizes corrective action, that rescues that bullied kid, that comes to the defense of the unpopular girl, that defends the sanctity of the marriage vow, and that does something to hold accountable people who abuse children sexually, to renew the culture by being good and angry. With the help of your Spirit, for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.